If you're looking to buy or sell pre-IPO stock, SharesPost has a solution for you. Since 2009, SharesPost has transacted more than $4 billion in the top private tech companies. Proven, trustworthy, secure. Visit us at SharesPost.com. Coming up on Equity, more funding for scooters because why not? SoftBank makes an odd investment into Cruise, China's payments monster gets a ton of money, and a dark horse Tesla competitor has filed to go public. Welcome to Equity. I'm TechCrunch's Matthew Lindley. I'm joined by Silicon Valley editor Connie Loises. Hello, everyone. Crunchbase News Editor-in-Chief Alex Wilhelm. Hello. And today our guest is Managing Director at City Ventures, Ramnik Gupta. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, we have a short bit of business to get to before we do the actual topics. So, Connie, what's going on? Yes, we wanted to uh, quickly correct something that we had misstated. Okay, I had misstated last week, which is that Rover uh, collects... 20% of uh, the commission that's paid to dog walkers. I had said that uh, the dog walkers get 20% and I sort of uh, flip-flopped that and didn't realize until we listened to it the next day that I'd done that. So apologies. This this was talking about a a dog startup raising a ton of money because that's what we do in Silicon Valley now. Uh, We get money to dogs. It's a very 2018 uh, mistake, if you will. But uh, Speaking of 2018 mistakes. I was about to say, (laughs) speaking of that sort of error, who just raised a bunch of money? So Bird did the electric scooter uh, sharing startup that we've all sort of uh, just discovered in the last, you know, four or five months. Uh, it is reportedly raising $150 million in new funding led by Sequoia Capital. And uh, as if that's not shocking enough, according to Bloomberg, the valuation is $1 billion for this year-old company that was sort of operating quietly in Santa Monica as of you know late last year, announced a $15 million fund uh, in TechCrunch in January and has been on a fundraising tear ever since. Well, these guys. I mean, I I mean, we've like. I feel like I'm perpetually hearing that these guys are raising money. This is like the new Snapchat, where it's just like a rolling, like revolving door of people coming in and dropping off capital and then leaving. It's true. This is apparently just part of you know the 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 report said that they're going to continue raising money. I don't know if at the one billion dollar valuation or if that means. Yeah. So one small point about how this is less dumb, maybe than it sounds, is that they have high capital costs. You know, this is a company has to go out there and buy a bunch of hardware, and so a software company pays mostly people, so it's a different kind of cost structure. Here they have to go out and then buy, maintain, and charge a large fleet. So I kind of understand the more aggressive capital pace at still though that's just it's a ton of money it's super fast evaluation makes no sense we've all tried to do the math on this given the number of rides they've put out there's not that much revenue yet um it's a lot of hopes and dreams and fomo i guess yeah no, no I, i'd like to add valuations at this stage for companies like this are less about where they are today and more about the vision and the uh, and the future so and and the people who are investing in these things are investing out of billion dollar funds so when they put 10 15 20 50 million into this think about their uh, thinking more as i don't want to miss out on this rather than i have to make money uh, right today and the metrics have to work today absolutely and sequoia especially had sort of missed the boat on uber one of its early partners excuse me one of its partners alfred lynn had written a personal check to uber but sequoia didn't invest in uber until the SoftBank uh, round, which happened Whoops. much more recently. Yes, so you can sort of see why they don't want to miss the boat this time. Well, I mean, so th- I mean, this is like Bird is Bird is still pretty early in its lifetime. So, I mean, does is this the kind of thing that goes into a growth fund or just the sort of original venture fund? Because remember, like, I mean, circa 2014, 2015, the the venture funds themselves were actually fetching like pretty crazy valuations. I'm, I'm re- 
going all the way back to a past life, uh, ship, like I remember raised like 50 million at like a 250 million valuation. That was a venture fund. That wasn't a growth fund. Right. So, I mean, is like, has this, has this already like transcended up to growth fund territory? I I think so. Given the check sizes, typically there are two things that drive which fund you're in usually, which is one is what stage of the company you're in. And then second is what was the check size. And, And then depending on the firm, some firms have very clear demarcation between growth and venture or early stage venture and others do not. So it varies a lot. And I remember when we were in Jet, uh, there were lots of these flip-flops from some, sometimes it came from growth funds, sometimes uh, for other firms it came from their traditional funds. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's what happened with the ship thing, just to be clear. It was like all over the place. So but is there any operational difference to the company if it gets money from a growth fund as opposed to a regular VC fund? Is there less handholding? Is there more handholding? It varies a lot. Again, there's no good one as single answer to this. But uh, depending on the situation, if it the company operationally is on the earlier side, it will have a lot more involvement from the venture folks, uh, irrespective of whether they are on the growth side or the venture side. And if it's on a much later side and much more developed, it'll have less involvement, just the way things go. So it's a little bit driven by the needs of the company and the stage of the company, uh, it's, uh, more than which, uh, which kind of fund it has raised the money from. Yeah, I mean, I was I was down in Los Angeles just like earlier this week, and you know, we kind of walk around San Francisco and laugh and tweet photos of birds having fallen over and say, "Oh my God, this is so indicative of being in Silicon Valley." But they are freaking everywhere in Los Angeles. It's crazy, and I see. I'm I'm pretty sure. I, like I've almost gotten run over twice, two or three times while I was down there. Like it's it's. I mean, it's it's one of those things where we're kind of sitting here being like, oh, scooters. But in Los Angeles, those blocks are really freaking long. So it actually kind of makes sense. Sure. And well, in San Francisco, if they would only let them use them right now, they have had to pull all of the scooters off of city streets here until they can sort of decide what to do in terms of permitting. So I think they are going to all be disappear as of what, June 4th. But what's interesting about this is just how reminiscent this story is when you think about Uber and Lyft. And of course, there was also sort of a fundraising race. And that's exactly what's happening now. And also part of why Bird rushed to you know raise this round, which is apparently ongoing. Uh, Lime, one of its primary competitors, is also reportedly fundraising. I mean, I think we've heard like 500 million. I think Axios reported that number as well. Um, so it's sort of you know who becomes the unicorn first. I think has you know. <laughs> <laughs> has some import to these companies. As opposed to which one will eventually earn that title, it's which will kind of get there first. You mean I mean, Scudacorn. I mean, I, well, first of all, no, <laughs> calm down. That, we are not using that word on the show. If I can't say the words that I like to say normally, you can't say that. That's new profanity. Um, but also, like, if you go around and talk to VCs today, everyone's kind of heard about these big rounds. Every single person that I've spoken to about them knows. So that means the, the dollar amount they're raising is going to be a multi-part affair. Because it isn't like SoftBank's going to come in and write the check. It's going to be kind of, a, I think, a collective of y'all uh, kind of working in concert. And I'm curious about it because scooters, for all the jokes are a delight to use. And that has been the recurring narrative across all media coverage of this. Scooters are lame. And then, uh, but I love them. Everyone said, like, right. I said that, and then I, I fell in love. So. But they are also dangerous. And to that point, uh, Bill Gurley, uh, interestingly, had tweeted, and, and Bloomberg had written about this, um, that uh, he called it the United States of litigation. So Bill Gurley is one of the earliest investors in Uber. So he apparently thinks that, uh, you know, this money maybe is getting misdirected. And, and, and that's the unknown at this point. I think the exciting part about these things is I'm calling them the new personal mobility solutions. They're slightly different than what happened with Uber and Lyft, which was sort of 
on traditional streets, different kinds of source of cars, but there were still cars being driven on streets. Here, this is net new. And the good thing is there are no tradition, uh, no competitors to worry about, really, right? There's no taxi lobby, uh, things like that. But the bad thing is you don't know how this is going to impact the uh, mobility situation when, when there are already congested sidewalks in, in most of the cities. This is only going to add to the problem, really. So unless we come up with better regulatory solutions and supply side uh, uh, solutions like dedicated streets or dedicated lanes for these sort of things, it's going to be a challenge in the medium term, for sure. Yeah, and so getting getting back to the fundraising, though, like I, so I, I recall, I think this was in 20, 2015 or 2016 when Snap was raising their Series F or G or whatever, insert letter, <laughs> it, was, it was like a revolving door, right? It was like capital was coming in periodically and the, the rounds were closing and it was sort of a continuous process. And I'm wondering, like, if if this, I mean, honestly, again, like we keep hearing, like, oh, Bird is raising. They just finished their last round, but they're raising again. But they're going to keep raising after this round, and da 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 da. And this sort of revolving door is that like really common these days now, especially as they're hitting these growth rounds. Absolutely, absolutely, especially because uh, you know, no longer is Silicon Valley and technology for the sake of technology. It's actually getting into real world businesses and and more from sort of atoms and bits into real physical, uh, you know, units. And when that happens. You just need a lot of capital. This is actual infrastructure that people have to deal with. It's the, and that's that's going to drive the fundraising cycles of these companies. So, uh, in addition to the fact that business models are going to be uh, such that they're going to be negative for a long time and all those other things, the fact that we are going into transportation, we are going to agriculture, we're going to healthcare, we're going to real world businesses, which will require a lot of capital upfront. Ramit, can I ask you something as a VC? So these rolling closes that Matthew is talking about have been happening for some time, and I think. Snap maybe had gotten into some trouble, or at least it was portrayed that way in the press, when it came to valuations and giving different investors sort of different deals. So how do you handle that? I mean, so if you're not having like a discrete round, I don't know if you've been in the situation as an investor. This, but is, I just this, sort of, this is the $16 billion versus $20 billion situation right, right, right now. Right, right, exactly. There is... What happens in these situations is uh, demand far exceeds supply, right? And and so when that is the case, these uh, the the power is in the hands of the entrepreneur or the company and i've at these later stages i think most of the investors have very little control on what's happening unless they are massive parts of the round not softbank has done that but most of the times these are billion dollar rounds and people are putting a 50 million off it so there isn't as much power in the late stage investor hand as it as there is in the earlier stage and so their ability to control these things is very low so it is driven by whatever the needs of the companies and however they think is the best way to execute but uh, having said all of that, I think with great power comes great responsibility, <laughs> and it's, it's better to have demarcation between multiple rounds and not get into these things if you don't have to. So I would advise people not to get into that, but I don't think that is something that most late-stage investors can control uh, today. Interesting. So SoftBank was mentioned there before the Spider-Man quote, so I think we'll go ahead and use that as a jumping-off point. So, um, so Transition time. Yeah, this well, weekend, not Uber. You're always looking for a segue in a podcast, but you never actually write them, and so you just kind of grab anything that floats by, like, SoftBank, mine! 
Bank. Um, so speaking of SoftBank, on that topic, uh, so Cruise, which GM bought uh, a couple years ago now, is going to get a $2.25 billion dual tranche injection from SoftBank's Vision Fund. Now, it's a little bit weird, so I'll explain this. So SoftBank is going to put in $900 million, and then when, according to TechCrunch.com, uh, certain benchmarks are met by Cruise itself, they'll put in another $1.35 billion. And component to this, GM, the owner, is going to put in $1.1 billion. So it is an enormous multi-part transaction into Cruise, which does uh, automation. Uh, now we're working on the kind of full-stack self-driving cars, exactly. So not automation of, say, toast or strawberries. Or scooters. Or back to scooters. You, 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 <laughs> I'm going to... Uh, scooters. Literally, I, I, if you don't live in Silicon Valley, you don't realize that literally every single person talks about scooters. It's become okay. the most and, boring thing. Okay, so, so, so this is a weird, weird deal. So, like... What is what is going on? <laughs> the way that I the way that I think about this is there's essentially unlimited money out there right now for people to try to go ahead and win the autonomous car race because whoever gets there first is going to have a huge market advantage in terms of not just selling the technology but the cars themselves. And that's why GM's purchase of Cruise was so interesting. They are they make what 10 million cars a year, something crazy like that. So if they don't have to go to Billy Bob or Jackie Jane down the street to get their tech, they have it built in house. They can sell not only more cars but at a more effective profit margin. And so I did some math. Which may be wrong, but um, I think the way it's going to work out, SoftBank will get a 19.6% interest in Cruise for 2.25 billion over two stakes, which works out to if you at a if, if well, it's a lot of it's a lot of billions of dollars. Essentially, Cruise is now worth a lot more than GM paid for it, which was one billion, which was one yeah. billion. Yeah. After which looks raised, like a steal now. Now like, it looks like a steal because Cruise had only raised like 19 million at the time, so everyone was freaking out like, oh, GM, what a ridiculous amount of money you put into this now. Looks relatively well, precious. So it's fascinating. So this deal values the company at eleven point five billion dollars. GM's right. valuation is like fifty billion. So it's incredible that this young company now represents, you know, is a one fifth of the value of GM. I think it's I think it's mind blowing. Um, but uh, so so I don't really know as much as I should about the company, but it's got sort it's sort of this integrated hardware software. It's it's grown by leaps and bounds. I think it had forty employees when Cruise sold to GM. Now it's got like eight hundred employees. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, the, the way I think about this market is uh, how the computing market evolved, right? All of the power and all of the value was in the hardware. And then suddenly, uh, there was one fine day over a little period of time, things shifted, and all the value was in software and services. And there you have Google versus HP, right? So do you want to be HP, which is GM, or do you want to be Google? And I think their approach with all of this, and I'm, I'm sure their belief with uh, with uh, putting all this money and, and continuing to move forward with Cruise, is they want to be more like Google in the future uh, because cars are just software on, on wheels going forward. If you look at Tesla, it's between the hardware and the software. It's primarily driven off of software. You can uh, over the air update these things now, things that were not heard of before. So I, I feel like there's a lot more value in the future of thinking about these things as software platforms and the key software there is self-driving uh, and autonomous driving and that's what Cruise represents to GM. So I, I'm pretty sure that's, that they, they could make a lot of value, they could extract a lot of value out of this if they succeed. It's a big technological challenge. Well, so, I mean, as we've seen with Tesla, cars are hard. Um, <laughs> and uh, it, it's one of those things, I mean, you're, you're, you're mentioning it before that so much of the value of these is g going to start being 
captured by experience and compute autonomous driving things like that i mean tesla if you're in a model s it's like it's a freaking awesome car it's like an ipod but you're basically driving an ipod with like a with like a nice screen I, on the I, side ipad yeah something iPods whatever they're more like 2004 yeah, yeah 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 whatever um going all the way back there and and tesla right now has like a market cap of like 47 billion dollars so you could look at that and be like okay well like how much of that is locked up in their sort of ui ux uh, technical whatever you want to call it with like the over the air updates and now you've got a company like gm that has like a self-driving technology self-driving technology branch and something and they've sort of like brought in this new talent duct tape on top of a car business that's already there like they can make cars they've shown that they can make cars i mean obviously these things are like multi-year cycles so like the fact that they if they have autonomous working now you're not going to even see that until three four five years down the line maybe i mean i'm obviously i'm not an autos expert so whoever can like check me on twitter and yell at me or something like that but um but it takes a while to get there so it kind of makes sense if like i'm looking at this i'm soft banking for some reason gm's going to let me put money into this like Heck yeah! Like this is this is such like an easy like slam dunk bet on autonomous because it's literally like a really potentially good software company on top of a company that can already make cars. Like, right. So. Also, it's going up against Waymo, and Waymo is backed by Google, and yes. Google has an infinite amount of money. GM needs access to an <laughs> infinite amount of money, and SoftBank seemingly gives it that. Uh, That's hundred percent right. If you look at the three or four options SoftBank might have had, most of them were non-options, right? Waymo doesn't is not an option, as you said, Connie. And certainly, uh, we don't have any option of of them investing in Tesla uh, other than taking public stock. And so, uh, and which is sort of not exactly their model unless they get a lot of control. So you're left with Cruise plus, plus GM. So I think it's a great outcome for them. Uh, the biggest question and the hardest question is: Is this actually possible? And how long will it take? And when it does happen, how long will actually uh, uh, all this take to become something that each one of us will be using? Because think about 10% of the cars get replaced a year. So even by that basic sort of math, you have 10-year replacement cycles, right? Cars last a long time, and an expensive thing to to change for most people. So this is going to be more of a long-term bet than a short-term uh, change we're going to see. Yeah, I mean, this is also like, this is almost an Apple argument, right? The iPhone was, the computers were like a four-year replacement cycle. And phones were also like a three to four year replacement cycle. And Apple has been doing its damnedest to compress that to like a one year cycle, right? They like, here's our upgrade program. We're like, we're get, we're sticking a new phone in your hand every single year because holy crap, like we need to grow our business somehow. And maybe it's like the theory here is that you come, you can come out with some kind of technology that's so revolutionary and world changing that it's the equivalent of like an iPhone six where everyone says, Okay, like new car time. Even though I bought a car last year, I need to get a new car. Whatever. Or, or, right. or I just need to get rid of my car finally and start riding these autonomous or cars. Or that. That's Which, also bad. <laughs> so they they make it sound like it's pretty close. They're building a, a Detroit, um, sorry, a factory in Detroit, and they say that they are on track to launch a commercial autonomous taxi business by next year. I will believe that when I actually get into it and I go somewhere. <laughs> right. Like, I, I feel I, like I completely agree. Everything totally agree. is eighteen months away in this space, yeah. and eventually the eighteen months should end. We've been like seventy-two months into. 18 month cycle. But um, my favorite component to this isn't just kind of the guessing game of when we're going to get in these cars. It's the uh, the ride sharing drama. Because if you recall, GM put money into Lyft. And then I'm going to read you a 2017 headline here from Ars Technica. Alphabet leads one billion investment into Lyft, but is GM on the way out? And now SoftBank put money into Cruise, which GM owns, but SoftBank owns a bunch of Uber, which Lyft doesn't like. So 
the sum of that, if you didn't get keeping up with the Kardashians uh, Uber style there, uh, is that Lyft may be getting left behind but what, by what could have been an important partner for it in the self-driving wars well, moving you're, forward. You're also forgetting that like a couple of years ago, well, first first off, there was an equity swap with Didi and Uber. So Didi owns part of Uber and Uber owns part of Didi. And D- but SoftBank put money into Didi, right? Yeah. So, so, but, sort of but Lyft also partnered with Didi several years ago. So this is, this is like a... a we we we're rapidly approaching the the singularity. Well, well. Also, we're about to talk. I think today about another car company, uh, uh, Neo, and SoftBank has not invested in Neo, but I think it's going to. <laughs> or it wants to. Neo's well, we're here. Yeah. So while we're here, there's another company that's going to be joining the Tesla side of the next generation car battle and not the cruise GM side. So Neo, which is N-I-O, we think is pronounced Neo. We're hoping if it's not pronounced Neo, please write an email to someone who's not me. Um, or yeah, well, it's a good matrix joke. So nerds appreciate it and everyone kind of gets a good laugh out of it. So, so Neo is said to have already filed paperwork to go public in the U S which would be another Chinese uh, company going public here on our shores following, uh, I can't pronounce these two, but Huaya, which is the esports streaming company. Uh, I, I-Q-I-Y-I, which I can't pronounce, and then Billy Billy as well. So at least three that I can name offhand. Um, and it could raise up to $2 billion, which would be an enormous offering uh, for a company that builds cars and has already raised, uh, I think, about $2 billion to date and launched its SUV in December, which is called the ES8. I'm reading my notes here, which has, according to TechCrunch, a 220-mile range. So there you go. So essentially, they're in the market with a car, and they're going to go public. Who wants to bet they lose a lot of money? Me. I'll bet that. All right. <laughs> well, first, I just want to make clear in case I uh, misspoke again. So SoftBank is reportedly interested in buying $200 million worth of shares when this company goes public. But uh, yeah, this company is sort of interesting. You know, Like Tesla, it's going to need to raise a ton of money, which is why I think it's turning to the public market. But it's apparently gotten like great reviews at the Beijing Auto Show. People loved it. It's much more affordable. I think it maybe is like 60000 to Tesla's, you know, say, whatever, $120,000, $130,000. Oh, the Model car. X equivalent? Yeah, very yeah, expensive. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it has some sort of interesting kind of like AI that's apparently very cute. <laughs> why Why does AI have to be cute? That's a bad trend. Bixby is a bad name too, Samsung. <laughs> but people seem to like it. So I have no idea. Um, others of its uh, investors are Tencent, Hill House Capital, and again, Sequoia, which we talked about earlier. Which is interesting because now we have a Tencent company active here and we're about to talk to an Alibaba affiliated company. So I, I really think that the, the equity podcast has slowly tilted more towards the Chinese market and There's now so on this show about half of our stories are just kind of the proxy battles between the two key giants in the uh and you're nodding your head right now so say, say what's on your mind i am i am i'm so amazed to watch that change happen over the last several years right uh in the and and most of the chinese companies have evolved so quickly up the value stack that we are talking about the only potential public competitor to tesla being a company from china Right, and and th- just let's stand back and think about it. I mean, there is we we've had a long tradition of autom- automotive excellence in the U.S., but the next big electric vehicle uh, car company is coming from China, and I think that's pretty phenomenal. Well, what does it say about Europe? I mean, not to be not to be rude to our European listeners, but I mean, you know, I 
I think that would have been a European company 15 years ago. It, it would have been, but I think it takes two very different kinds of skills as we were talking about earlier. These are literally software platforms running on wheels. And that means you require a lot of data, you require a lot of compute and engineering power and, and, and computer scientists really to build these sort of things, right? It's it's way more uh, uh, different uh, skill that, that China has built up over the last several years or a decade or so than what Europe has really exercised in terms of muscle. They are definitely manufacturing sort of uh, uh, behemoths, but they don't compete on software and technology. So I think there is that uh, uh, aspect to think about, which is why the rise of China and the is is going to be pretty impressive, especially because it's on the back of rise of software, which uh, you know they're they're quite deep into. One of the so one of the major challenges for Tesla is they have like these massive supply chains, right? So it's like this 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 company handles this thing, and this company handles this thing, and this company handles this thing, and then everything comes together. And goes into and finally goes into a car. And if any one of those breaks down, then you have a serious problem because then you're like, oh crap, I can't get my car out the door and I have 90 gajillion reservations and this is not good. Whereas if you're talking about a car company in China, like there's a super, like there's an obvious opportunity to sort of collapse all of that in and, and like either get have better control of all these little component pieces because China is obviously like already a massive manufacturing place for like with like uh, Foxconn which I think we were talking about just a couple last week about their potential IPO and like all these other things and in addition to not only having control of that but maybe literally like streamlining it down to only a couple companies su- su- supplying parts right um so it's one of the I think it's one of those situations where you're you almost get a bit of a fresh start where you don't have to have a gajillion people that you have to rely on in order to get your car out the door. Because again, cars are hard. And if you're, you know, maybe the, the the right way of doing it was to start, you know, sort of start from scratch. But yeah, so that, so making cars is hard. There are a lot of moving pieces. Tesla is a $47 billion company, which is still pretty big. Which is what I'm really curious about because, you know, Neo is going public into a, an amazing market moment. The Nasdaq's like 7,500. Everything's hot, hot, hot here in the U.S. for tech companies. But Tesla's been kind of shooting itself in the foot repeatedly with missed deadlines, a lot of high-profile collisions. Elon Musk's Twitter account, which really is a distraction to that company, and their enormous cash consumption and the market fears about their debt, which is losing value day to day, as we've all seen. So they're picking this moment to go public, which is at once brilliant and also quite dangerous. And I'm curious how it goes. But like with all companies that actually are cooler than, I don't know, WAG, I hope it goes well. And also, like, I mean, I feel like this is an interesting thing, another interesting moment where there's been a lot of uh, jockeying as to where the IPOs are going to go. And like, here's another one going public on the US markets, right? And like, Alibaba was like one of the largest IPOs in history, a Chinese company going public on the US stock market. And you're going like the companies that Alex rattled off just a couple of minutes ago. And now we have like yet another one. So it's like, this is still where you want to be theoretically. So I, 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 I think timing is one key element of this because you have to raise a lot of capital and hopefully you time it right so that you're offering is well received but in the long run as as, uh, as you've pointed out it, cars are hard these are physical uh, uh, you know, supply chains across multiple continents multiple different suppliers that you got to manage and i think demonstrating a uh, uh, you know a limited production run versus actually creating a mass market product is two different uh, ends of the uh, of the spectrum and that's where tesla is having uh, uh, all its challenges today um, so the 
if if Tesla is having those challenges, I I think most others will have many many more such challenges. So I will just wait to watch how they 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 succeed. I think they will raise the first piece of capital, but will they be a sustainable, uh, successful public company uh, delivering on their uh, promises? That's that's to be seen. Let's get back to software because uh, cars are hard, but so- and, but software is also fun. Um, so while we're over uh, hanging out in China, we're going to talk about uh, the, an absolute monstrous payments pro- payments company called Ant Financial. Ant Financial is a spinoff of Alibaba. Uh, and actually, it was just a couple of years ago, I think 2016, when they did their last financing round. At a, that was something that was close to like $60 billion, which at the time was like, this is the most valuable, one of the most valuable private companies in the world. Uh, guess what? That was 2016. We're in 20, 2018 in our weird pocket universe. And Ant Financial is reportedly raising 10 billion dollars at 150 billion dollar valuation so if there billion, was any 10 billion so if there was any question over which one was the most valuable private company in the world this one's the most valuable private company in the world <laughs> bigger than most ipos oh yeah b- no. b- dude bigger than like nearly all ipos ever in the history of the world like i, I love it if you go back and look at the uh, the old like financial textbooks like what's a mid cap what's a small cap what's a large cap like over a billion is like a large cap stock now we're like well we made three of those in silicon valley last week <laughs> so the scale is amazing but lindley for people who don't know uh what is the the key ant product and what does it compete with on the 10 cent side yeah so ali ali so ali ant alibaba ant financials uh main product is Alipay. It's a payments processor. Um, you know, if you've ever gone over to China, odds are you've been using QR codes to pay for things, whether that's Alipay or through WeChat or other things, right? And and you know, in a lot of ways, like the feeling, the experience there of paying for things is like so far advanced for, compared to what it's like in the United States. It's, it's kind of scary, right? Um, but this, so this is this is the pretty much one of the primary ways people actually like buy products is you scan a QR code and it's dramatically easier. And that's created a hundred fifty billion dollar business. Payments companies in general are extremely like very very high margin companies. So if like if I'm looking at uh, you know, if I'm looking at a uh, a company as an investor, and and the the sort of report here is is talking about how it's coming from global and local investors and things like that, right? Um, it's it's a it's a situation where I can look at this and I can say like, okay, well, like I can look at Stripe and like Stripe is pretty much like an auto slam dunk, right? And I can look at PayPal and PayPal's doing fine, and you can look at uh, you know any of the other payments companies and they're they're sort of like they seem to be doing fine, and then you look at Alipay, where the TAM is like. Holy crap! And what does TAM stand for? Total addressable market. <laughs> China's big. Um, where the TAM is like holy crap huge, right? Even compared to like the United States, where you have Apple Pay and everyone's like Apple Pay is amazing and it's growing like crazy. Like oh no, like that is tiny. Alipay. Alipay has eight hundred and seventy million active users. That is a lot of users. And the power of that, if you think about it, is that it's not just a payment processing company. Their vision, their goals, and their sort of uh, uh, focus is on becoming the end-to-end financial services provider to the 860 million users in China. And and imagine how big an opportunity that is. So this is not a payment processing company alone. It is today, but a lot of what it's trying to build is a wealth manager on top of it. Mm-hmm. It's trying to build a bank and a deposit taker on top of that, right? And so and down the line, it might be a card issuer or a, a, a issuer of a, a, a debt in some way, shape, or form. So they're trying to build the entire financial services stack on top of the user base that they have aggregated already. And also, I mean, the other the other thing here is if you're if you're a, a digital payments company that has 870 million users that dwarfs Venmo or anything like that, the sheer amount of data you have on transactions is like out of control, huge. 
and if i'm if i'm something if i'm someone like ant financial and i have access to all this thing i can literally see what is the spending behavior of 870 million people and you can talk about forecasting there you can talk about gauging like true credit scores or anything along those lines and the the actual like upper bound here is just way and, out of sight and that is exactly why payment processing companies are back in vogue Several years back, if you remember, most banks were getting rid of their payment processing arms. Now everyone's trying to build that pair, you know? And that this is exactly the reason why, because you have the ability to utilize this data in much more interesting ways than just processing payments. And just to put a cap on your point about deposits and maybe loans and all that sort of thing they're going to get into, one money market fund associated with Alipay. I just pulled some numbers here. I'm not going to get into the corporate structure behind this because it's complicated, but it has 1.7 trillion yuan on, yuan on deposit, which is about 270 billion dollars. So like the scale it's like of, the biggest money market. It is, yeah, there's been a bunch of stories about how big yeah. it's become and yeah. all of that. So the the amount of money we're talking about here is not like Robin Hood in the U.S., which has like 48 dollars and like a goat invested in it. This is this is serious money. This is legit huge sums of capital. So that's why it's so exciting. Uh, you know, and we don't talk about much here in the United States, which is probably stupid. Because uh, it's you know maybe the next big thing and maybe well it is the next big th- no it is the big thing <laughs> yeah how about that <laughs> there we go. Um, and there's a, an IPO component to this which I think we know a little bit about looking forward uh, right so I think the idea is that it's going to be going public somewhat soon uh, Reuters had gotten a hold of a fundraising document and it showed that uh, these investors in this later round, this round which again includes Sequoia which I think is interesting um, are are we're told to sort of expect an exit within one to three years. So this is very much like a quick flip. Yeah, yeah, sounds like it. Yeah, it's a lot of money to throw in for a quick flip. But you know, again, 2018, nothing makes sense. Gravity is fake. Ha ha. At 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 10 billion dollars, uh, 20 percent is a lot of return. Think yeah. about that. <laughs> 20% a year is $2 billion that's, a year. Yeah, that's exactly right. But so, they have to go public at a higher valuation than 150, which is going to be. Because what Facebook was worth like 104 when it went public, and Alibaba well, was like 168. Facebook had, a, Facebook had a sort of business, and Alipay probably has like an actual business. No, business. no, no. <laughs> like I've said on the show a thousand times, Facebook had a billion dollars in trailing gap profit when it went public. That's a real business. That's more than like any. It's more than Pinterest. For God's, for God's you know, it's interesting, and I, I might might be wrong about this, but so Ant, which spun out of Alibaba four years ago when when the company um, went public, isn't just. Um, in the money management business, it's, it's also, I think, it's an investor itself, uh, including in the uh, Chinese bike sharing company Ofo, um, the food delivery app operator. I don't know how it is. It Elemi yeah. uh, and uh, Paytm, the Indian payment uh, giant. So it's really, it's interesting. It's sort of becoming, I think, its own little micro. Well, not, not even micro. micro. Yeah, like that's <laughs> within a hedge. Within a hedge. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, all these companies that raise a bunch of money seem to invest in a bunch of other little companies. So it's like a, a nesting doll effect. It, Especially these kind of and and uh, these are platform companies, right? If you take payments, it is the platform service that's required for every transaction processing situation. So it has applicability in all of these areas. So they're right now they're just grabbing market wherever they can because they can always bring in their platform service, which is payments into that. All right. Well, 2018 is weird and we still continue to exist in a pocket universe. So thanks for joining us, everyone. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Take care. All right, everybody, thank you for listening. And a big thank you to Matthew Lindley, Connie Loizos, our producer, Christopher Gates, our executive producer, Henry Pickovet, and we will see you all right here next week. And then air guitar to make it worse. All right. uh, that's our intro, intro, intro track.